0: We are like a family here. And uh, as our family grows, I appreciate family more and more. Uh, A big help to um, those who need it. Am I loud enough? Too loud? Yes? Okay. All right. Good. It's good to see you all. Now, I'm going to ask you to do an exercise with me. We'll put the slide up in just a moment. But first, we're going to do an exercise together, please. And this requires closing our eyes. So if you're able to do that... Now that we're not on the beach, I can see if your eyes are closed, if you're participating in the exercise or not. No sunglasses on. Okay, so close your eyes. Now think of this person that you might know already. His name is Jesus. Uh, That's the way that we say his name. Others say it differently, and he probably himself said it differently. But think about him in your mind's eye, in your imagination. What does he look like? Think about that. How is he dressed? His hair, his face, his eyes. And think about the um, the things that he might say or do. What might be in his pockets if he has any? Um, Probably doesn't. But okay, you can um, think on that. Now I'm going to pray, and I'm going to say, Lord, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts and minds. Bless your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can open your eyes. Thank you for participating in that exercise for me and with me. Um, We think about Jesus. We want to look to Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. And that's what I think this passage is about, is about understanding what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Not always easy, as we'll read. So I'm going to read this with you. And um, this is the Common English Bible. I was just talking to my friend David about Bible translations. This one is it's fairly new, and it is a little bit uh, disruptive sometimes when you read it, I think, because it puts things in very plain terms, but it also changes the way some of the things that we're used to them being worded a certain way. Um, It changes those and that's actually helpful in my study because it it makes me read things with fresh eyes all the time and the scriptures are alive and active amongst us and the holy spirit is meant to inspire uh, new readings every time so uh, don't be afraid to try out uh, something other than the king james version and you might learn something as you do so and uh, be able to share that with others so let's read together The Common English Bible. You can read it on the screen if you can read that. If you can't read that from the back, you might need glasses. And uh, I found that out myself. Um, But uh, it's not a vision test. Uh, Otherwise, you can read in your phone, I think. They have an app for that. And um, there's this thing called a Bible, which is a book you could get, too. Um, Dear friends, dear friends, family, don't be surprised about the fiery trials that have come among you to test you. These are not strange happenings. Instead, rejoice as you share Christ's suffering. You share his suffering now so that you may also have overwhelming joy when His glory is revealed. If you are mocked because of Christ's name, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory, indeed, the spirit of God rests on you. Now, none of you should suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evil-doer or a rebel. And don't be ashamed if you suffer as one who belongs to Christ. Rather, honor God as you bear Christ's name. Give honor to God because it's time for judgment to begin with God's own household. But if judgment starts with us, what will happen to those who refuse to believe God's good news? If the righteous are barely rescued, what will happen to the godless and sinful? So then, those who suffer because they follow God's will should commit their lives to a trustworthy creator by doing what is right. And that's the summary of pretty much the whole book of Peter, right there. 1 Peter, committing our lives to our trustworthy Creator by doing what's right, or doing good, your translation might read. Both are correct. And doing good things is something that it, we uh, want to do as humans. It seems humane, it seems right to care for those who need care. And it's often what is um, kind of preached in different churches or different organizations, do good, do good. And we think sometimes that by doing good, we can earn God's favor and that we can earn uh, approval and some eternal reward. But as we'll read in Peter uh, elsewhere, we know that it's not of our own doing that we've earned anything, that everything has been a gift, grace, grace. And it's Jesus who suffered once for all so that we might be uh, seen as approved and um, accepted in God's sight. And so this sermon is not going to be about earning God's favor, but it is going to be about uh, doing good. Because I believe that doing good is something that um, is a way in which we we, uh, can challenge the forces of evil in the world with the love of God. And follow Jesus, even if it means following him to the cross. So we'll talk about suffering as we kind of work our way through the passage. And we'll talk about Jesus' suffering, those he suffered with, and then the way that we're called into that as well. And then um, we'll finish by uh, actually coming to the communion table in just a moment. And participating in that suffering, that broken body of Jesus together, bringing our own suffering there and receiving healing and doing that as his body. So I welcome you on this journey with me through the passage. but. We're going to do this by looking at the Gospel of Matthew. You don't have to turn there because I'm going to be going around quite a lot. But the Gospel of Matthew is one of my favorites. It's the first one you come to in the New Testament. And um, if you haven't read it yet, I encourage you to do so. Is there any way to like, make, like, less reverb on the microphone? Is it bothering anyone else? No? Is it just me? Um, just a little bit less hot, I think they say. I've heard someone say that before. Hot microphone. Yeah. <laughs> getting hit with the lingo. So uh, it says, don't be surprised about the fiery trials. You can turn that off. Thank you. Don't be surprised about the fiery trials. Now, anyone who's actually going through something fiery, something crazy, something like uh, being burned alive in Rome under Nero, the emperor, um, this is what happened to some Christians in Rome because he needed a scapegoat for blaming the fire that had happened in the city, so he like, would use people as torches. That doesn't seem something that's normal, right? You would want to be surprised if that happened. And yet Peter says, don't be surprised if something like that is happening. And why should we not be surprised? Well, think about it. If you're a Christian, and some of you in this room I believe are, following Jesus, where do you think you might follow this character Jesus? Where do you think he ended up? Eventually, Where do you think he calls us into? Now, the cross is obviously the place that he did end up, but he didn't stay there, we know. And as we follow him into suffering, we also follow him to the glory of the resurrected life. And the cross isn't for everyone, but as we see in the earliest uh, apostles and his followers, it is for some. Peter himself was probably, uh, tradition has it, uh, hung actually upside down on a cross, is what um, the tradition holds. So he knew what it meant to follow Jesus all the way to the point of suffering and death. And as I said before, Jesus' death is once and for all, he's taken care of sin. He's brought us into a right relationship with God, as it says in um, 1 Peter 3.18. And it's not the type of suffering that we're called to do, to be the Messiah, to be the one that saves everyone. But The life that he lived actually brought him to this point. And that's the challenging thing about it, is that it wasn't um, accidental that he went to the cross. It was God-ordained. But it also wasn't surprising when you looked at the way that he encountered the world around him and the way that the leaders who had the power to rile up the mob and hand Jesus over to Pontius Pilate so that he could be crucified, that they found him offensive. But what was it about him that was so offensive? And is the same thing true about us? So that people will find us offensive, and then we will face our own sort of fiery trials, um, our own persecution, in a sense, wherever that may be. Now, the life of Jesus is a life of suffering, not just his death. The life of Jesus uh, is him coming into the world, God with us. And in being God with us, he suffered with us. He finds us in our brokenness. He welcomes us in our brokenness. And he affirms us in that as whole people who are in need of healing. Um, sorry, broken people in need of being made whole. But the uh, the very first time it talks about Jesus announcing the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven in Matthew, he surrounds himself with a certain type of people. And uh, you can see this in Matthew chapter four, a light shines in a dark land. He announces the good news of the kingdom and immediately he's he's healing sick people, curing every disease. And they brought to him those afflicted with various diseases, pains, demoniacs, epileptics and paralytics. I think it's important that the text names certain of the things that people were afflicted with because it's not just random sin that we all are suffering under, the the bad things we've done wrong, but it's real brokenness in our lives. And you can probably name some of that in your own. It's real hurt that you've received being born into a broken world and Jesus is ready to heal that now how that healing happens in his day is through his own body just sharing the love that was overflowing through him for the world um but it also expands beyond his own body and his body becomes the believers that were following him the first disciples that he sends out and what does he send them out to do in matthew chapter 10 he says announce the kingdom of god announce the kingdom of heaven bring the good news do this, curing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, and casting out demons. That's our call, too. We have this commission in the end of Matthew, and that's to uh, teach and preach the good news, but there's also a commission earlier in Matthew, Matthew chapter 10, and it's a little bit more expansive, what it says to the disciples, and, and this is part of what it means to bring the good news, is to uh, make people whole again in this life, as we prepare for the next. So this is a, um, it, it's a very material and very physical and very real uh, good news that's coming to the people who are hurting. And then we get a little summary of what Jesus has done once again. And so this is kind of be repetitive, but the gospel does it for a reason. We have to keep seeing this. John the Baptist, Jesus's predecessor as a prophet in Israel, uh, the one who announced his coming, he was like, is this Jesus the the real deal? Is he the true uh, Messiah, the one to come, the king to deliver Israel from captivity? And Jesus replies to the people that John has sent as he's in prison. And he says, well, tell him this. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf Here, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And in the Gospel of Matthew, you could see all these things have happened through different accounts. He adds to that, blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Why would anyone take offense at these wonderful things Jesus did? He was a good guy, right? Raise your hand if you think he wasn't a good guy. Got to get out of here. Just kidding. Um, uh, You... uh, I mean, I, I take offense that someone would take offense at these things, but this is the very stuff that brought him here. It wasn't um, just, it, there was blindness on behalf of the Pharisees and the other leaders, the chief priests, but it was blindness to seeing that this is God's love. And they thought there was another way of doing things, a way of controlling and calculating all the risks, the costs, the benefits, and then being able to control who got to encounter God at the temple. And the temple was a very important place. But Jesus, what did he do when he went to the temple? He said, you guys are getting it wrong. And he called them to get it right, and they didn't. He prophesied against it, and then just a generation after him, it fell. And it actually hasn't been raised up since. But the, uh, the place where people encounter God, it kind of was moving in Jesus' life from this one location, this one building, into the body of Jesus and his person. And here, the body of Jesus gathered today, the body of Christ. That's us. So... Um, I think it's important that we find the radical love, the reckless love that he had for his people, as something that was offensive. And it is offensive today. It can be offensive even to our own selves, if we think about giving up our own lives um, for the sake of those around us. And our lives can mean, like our very like neck as the the Bible calls it, like your neck. That's the thing that if you lose your neck, you're probably not alive anymore, right? Um, But uh, there's also just giving up your time or your resources or your comfort, your home, uh, whatever it can be for those around you. And once again, this is not a sermon about earning God's favor, but about sharing God's love. So, when we share God's love, that often looks like sharing in the sufferings that Jesus shared with his people. Sharing in the suffering of those that Jesus uh, suffered with is sharing Christ's suffering, as it says in verse 13. We're still in first Peter, even though we're also in Matthew, we're going back and forth. I have this thing where I like to lean on Jesus in order to just understand anything in the Bible. I call it a crutch, but Matt says it's not a bad thing. So I guess it's okay. Um, and, uh, Jesus is probably the right lens to interpret any scripture. Let's keep going. Um, there's a few verses that talk about being mocked or shamed because of Jesus as we move through first Peter, but there's this one verse that sticks out to me. And it's verse 15. It says, now, none of you should suffer as a murderer or evil doer or rebel or thief, anything like that. There's a lot of things in the Bible that say like what not to do, you know, like, um, don't like get drunk and drive a car and then hurt someone. It doesn't say that in the Bible, but it probably means it. Or don't, um, yeah, just don't be dumb. Sometimes is what it's trying to say, like, like think about what you're doing. But this, I think, is speaking more toward the people who are suffering for their faith in Jesus. And those ones, um, they sometimes want to take matters into their own hands and do something about it. They say, oh, you're going to mock the name of Jesus? Well, I'm going to show you what that will get you and you're going to not take care of those who need to be taken care of? Well, I'm gonna show you that you should take care of them and not show them through actually caring, but through force and violence. And that's what kind of all of these things are is murder. Obviously that's quite a violent and forceful thing, but thief, Uh, think about a famous thief uh, that we, we venerate in, Um, I don't know if he actually lived. Did Robin Hood actually live? Was he a real guy? Yeah. Yeah, Maybe? Yeah, real guy? Okay. So seems like a really good guy, right? He stole from the rich to give to the poor. Um, I mean, we don't think that's a good thing today, obviously. Um, Taxes and stuff like that. but, But it's a good thing. You know, people that weren't being taken care of in a society unlike ours, where there was a great disparity between the top and the bottom in the medieval times when Robin Hood lived, in the times when Jesus lived. Great disparity between the top and the bottom. We don't know anything about that. Um, and and sh- wanting people to share, and kind of forcing them to share. Jesus, he's not about that. He's not about forcing sharing. He's about inviting us to share. The invitation is something that can be refused. Whereas if you thieve, if you steal, if you rob, that is um, something that um, is not of the kingdom. So just as we think about what it looks like to be involved in this following Jesus thing, we know that it is something different from what our normal impulse is. When we think of justice, we think of Marvel, right? All of that, is, uh, uh, right? That's what, I mean, uh, the people I hang out with do, at least. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a sense in which doing more violence to combat violence is fighting fire with fire. And now while that can work, sometimes in preventative ways, fighting fire with fire, it doesn't work in the violence realm. It just creates more violence. So don't be ashamed if you suffer as one who belongs to Christ. Because it can be shameful to do things in that way. It looks weird. Rather, honor God as you bear Christ's name. One of the people who looked weird doing this and did suffer for it was actually Gandhi. But then beyond that, someone who um, professed the name of Christ in his suffering was Martin Luther King Jr. As he stood up against the ways that um, people of color and then also poor people and those who were being drafted to fight in a war that they didn't necessarily believe in, he fought against uh, militarization, he fought against poverty, and he fought uh, against racism of all forms. And he suffered for it greatly um, in a lot of ways. But he did it in the name of Jesus, without shame. He gave honor to God. And here's the tough part. It says it's time for judgment to begin so this is kind of moving on to the next point and judgment is a tough thing but it begins with us we like to think of judgment as like okay i'm going to heaven everyone else is going to hell or not everyone else but the other people who aren't for me or with me they're going to hell and that's judgment right it's afterlife judgment in the bible When we read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, because there's more time covered there, but even in Jesus' life and the way that he talked and the people around him, you can see judgment is very real and active right now. And it's not all about the final judgment uh, standing in front of the uh, kind of like the judge, the gavel, but it's about giving an account for our actions and taking responsibility for what God has called us to do. So, um, yeah. If you haven't read like Isaiah, that would probably be a good place to start. When we, You want to learn about God's judgment. God's judgment comes in various ways. And God judged Pharaoh, for example, for not treating God's people well. And did this through the plagues. The plagues, uh, ten of them. And it was opportunities to get things right. They weren't just punishments. They were opportunities to turn around. That's how judgment often looks in our own life as well. Giving an account for kind of where we are and getting ready for what we're going to do um, based on that account. So when Jesus talks about judgment, we uh, have a really beautiful scene. There's a lot of uh, words of Jesus in the Bible. Matthew has a lot to say about judgment. The one that I think is most pertinent to this conversation this morning is in Matthew 25. Matthew 25. And he talks about the king coming to sit on his throne and to judge all the nations. And he separates the righteous from the unrighteous. And it's the sheep on the one side, the right side, I guess, is the sheep, and the goats on the other side. And you want to be a sheep. You want to be a righteous one, right? Um, But uh, it's not necessarily on how many times you sinned or how um, many things you did in order to cover up your sin or whatever it was that um, we normally think of when we think of giving an account for our lives, it was, did you see Jesus? Did you see him when he showed up? Now, where does he show up? According to this passage, Matthew 25, toward the end of it, if you want to look later, he says, he shows up and says this, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. I'm going to include some additional contextualization for our own uh, day. I was in the foster system without a family and you welcomed me into yours. I was jobless, hopeless and you trained me to be a dignified, skilled laborer with reignited hope. I was a single mother, and you embraced me and my child as part of your community. I was formerly incarcerated, and you helped me get back on my feet, reintegrating into society. I was without proper shelter, and you built my family a home to make our own. I was born into a cycle of poverty, and you taught me the skills and hope I needed to break out of it. I was new in the neighborhood. You invited me to dinner. I was exploring questions about my own identity, and you affirmed me as a whole person, even in the midst of my questioning. I was an ethnic minority, and you stood up against racism and all kinds of injustice with me. I was suffering, you suffered with me. I was voiceless, and you listened to me, helping me to find my voice. And I was a new parent, and you brought me meals, quite literally, thank you. I love to see you, Oh, one more. Uh, I was a a camper at Hume Lake, and you were my cabin leader, sleeping very little and tolerating a lot and loving me all the while. So the way that we see Jesus showing up is those who need things, those who are dependent, those who aren't afraid to share and show their own brokenness and receive healing through the community. And we don't only find ourselves on one side of this. Okay, i got to be the giver. i got to be the care. i got to be the one who can just bring Jesus' kingdom to all these people who need it. No, we're also the receiving in. And that's the thing about being a Christian is that part of what it means to follow Jesus is to admit our own brokenness and admit our own dependence on each other and on God. And this is the uh, beautiful thing that we get to see in the life of Jesus is that he himself was dependent. Uh, We had a little exercise earlier where we closed our eyes and thought of what Jesus looked like. And I hope when you close your eyes and think of the image of Jesus, that person doesn't look like me. Um, I mean... Not a bad person to look at, but uh, the, um, that's really lazy if that's the one that you're looking at for uh, who Jesus looks like because he wasn't from, like, where my ancestors are from, uh, northern Europe, and even the people who live in the land where he was from now probably looked a lot different than he looked. Um, not that we have to get, like, technical, historical about it, but when it was uh, time for the other babies Well, sorry, for babies to be killed when he was a baby because the king was threatened by him and his birth, his family took him to hide in Africa. They could hide in Africa because they fit in and looked African. So just think about that when we think about our images, the things that we have on our stained, oh, no stained glass here. Um, the, The images we have of Jesus, my storybook Bibles and stuff like that, They need some work. Um, uh, uh, But not only that, but also what type of, um, what did he have to offer? Was it that he was a full and uh, um, self-independent, autonomous individual who didn't really need anything, or did he actually show up as this list that I read off? as someone who was dependent. He surrounded himself with people who were suffering, and he himself suffered, as we know, but he also felt hunger. It says that uh, his disciples and, and he were walking through fields, and his disciples were hungry, so they started picking grain on the Sabbath, which, no, no, don't do that. And probably the Pharisees who who were mad at them for picking the grain, they probably were also mad that not just it was a Sabbath, but uh, they either were the ones who owned the field or knew the guys who owned the field and and didn't think it was right that they were um, feeding themselves with the gleanings that the Old Testament said was okay for them to do. Um, Sorry if that was confusing. Read Leviticus 19. Maybe you'll understand what I was talking about. But the... um The Jesus we see, his people, his guys right closest to him, they were hungry. They didn't have enough to eat on a normal basis. They depended on the goodness of others to feed them. And he said, I don't have a place to lay my head. He needed uh, continually to be invited into homes as he was moved around from place to place preaching the good news. When he was asked about some tax and he wanted to give a little illustration by saying, oh, hey, look at George Washington's face, I mean, Caesar's face on this bill. He couldn't just pull the bill out of his pocket. He had to ask for one because he didn't have a coin of his own, probably. So this is a Jesus who knew what it was like to depend on others. And the people he depended on were those that we all can depend on. And for the most part, they were the mothers that followed him around. Maybe his own mother. Uh, we don't necessarily venerate Mary in our church, although maybe we should. Um, there is a very important role that she plays in the gospel. And I'm not saying worship her. Uh, we worship Jesus and God the Father and um, through the Holy Spirit. But Um, other people, they are means to doing that in a sense, that they bring us closer to God. So how does Mary do that? Well, she gave her body to be the vessel, the instrument of God's grace and love for us. And there are other women as well. Uh, Right after Jesus was uh, crucified, you have this little account in Matthew. It says, many women were there looking on from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee, from his home, and provided For him, How did he keep his ministry going as he went along? Because these women came along with him and took care of him and those who he surrounded himself with. And among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, which probably means Mary the mother of Jesus, and the mothers of the sons of Zebedee. And then some of them went to the tomb, watched it being buried. They didn't just follow him through his life, even into his death. They wanted to um, see that he was being taken care of. And after the Sabbath, on the third day, on Easter morning, they're the ones that come to the tomb. And they came to check in on it and to continue to care for him in his person, even in his death. And they're the ones, because of that, I got to experience this glory that it talks about. Um, you have shared in his suffering, so you may have overwhelming joy when his glory is revealed. As he resurrected, the first people that he encountered or the first people that got to encounter him were these ladies. And they left the tomb that was empty with great fear and joy and ran to tell the disciples. And Jesus met them and said, Greetings. Hi. It's me. And they came and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Because they knew that He was the one who was so beloved by them during their lives that even um, when it was time for him to be glorified to the resurrection, they would be the ones to rejoice in this because they had suffered with him through so much. And this is our call as well today is that as we suffer with those around us, as we allow our own sufferings to be healed by the community, that we're seeing the, um, the life of Jesus and that life, that love, that light is too bright to be um, <coughs> overshone by any sort of darkness. The love is too great to be overdone by any sort of evil or hatred. And the life is too big and too giving and too reckless for death to keep it down. So there's nothing for us to fear. Now, um, there's one more account of a woman doing something for Jesus that goes against any sort of uh, way that we want to calculate all of our actions and make sure that everything is rational and uh, makes complete sense to us and this is right before Jesus was crucified as the days before that he knew that's what he was going into and he went to one of his friends uh, simon the leper's house and this woman she's unnamed in the uh, gospel of matthew but um she is remembered and she comes to him and she brings a, a jar of costly perfume it says uh maybe a year's worth of wages a year's worth of wages you can just Think about your own year's salary and think, oh, that's maybe pretty big or maybe not so big. But either way, it's a big jar of perfume and she spends it all on Jesus. She, as the disciples, some of them say, she's wasting it on him. She's lavishly anointing him. And he says that even though you think this is a waste, she's doing this to prepare my body for burial. And you have to wonder... Because he didn't take a shower after that, before he went to the cross. What did he smell like as he hung up there on the cross? The wafting, beautiful scent that she had placed on him and his hair and his body, that even though it was a shameful, a disgraceful death that was reserved only for the lowest in society and the slaves, um, that there was a, a, a certain sense in which he was something to behold, something to remember. And she, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, is remembered for her good act. And this good act, I think, is inspiration for us that even if we don't know what's going to come of something that we're doing for another, we don't know if the person that we're giving that money to asked for it, they're going to go spend it on something they shouldn't spend it on. Or um, if you know well you're visiting someone who's sick, and they're maybe not even in a state where they can know that you're visiting them, so it's like "Ah, maybe that's not so effective. that's not really good use of my time um or maybe you're a, uh wanting to lead a grounded group or a small group, and you're going with the junior hires that that's a that's something where maybe you don't going to see the fruits of your labors right away because uh the strides sometimes towards maturity in life and in faith are uh, are slow but sure. But we don't need to do the calculation. We just know that as we enter in the lives of those around us and we suffer with each other, that we are entering into Jesus' life and that we are promised his glory. As we get new eyes to see where Jesus shows up, So those who suffer because they follow God's will should commit their lives to a trustworthy creator by doing what is right. And now we have a chance to um, move to the communion table. And the communion table is a place where uh, each week we get to see that, yes, Jesus has done it. He suffered once for all. That it's not up to us to earn God's favor, but we are invited into that suffering that his body is broken here. As he says in Matthew, this is my body broken for you. And this is the blood of the new covenant and it's poured out for you. That his broken body is the place where we actually with our own brokenness come forward and receive healing. And while there is a sense in which this is a foretaste of a full healing, a full wholeness that is to come, when he comes again. The kingdom is already here amongst us and the healing has already begun. And so as we closed our eyes earlier to see the image of Jesus, we can open them now. And through this symbol, through this act, this practice of communion, we can look around us, take communion together and see Jesus's body in your neighbors. As we start to care for those around us, we get practices of caring for others and we learn what it's like to do that and then begin to move beyond that into caring for the whole world. But it's little steps, it's each day, it's each moment that we get new fresh eyes for, Jesus, for seeing Jesus in our lives. So let's pray and then we'll transition to communion. The band can come up as I'm praying, please. Heavenly Father, I uh, think of the words that you have taught us through your son Jesus about how the kingdom uh, does belong to children, and how children, my own children, Charlotte and Wesley, teach us so much about what it means to be dependent, to be in need of very tangible um, care and. To be in need of not just care for our basic necessities, but to be in need of love and affection. And we thank you for that witness that we can come into this place and show that we also need you. We need your love. We need this community, the spirit of love that's over this place, and we need your son. Give us fresh eyes to see your son and give us hearts willing to serve him and to be served by him when we see him. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.